Good evening and welcome to the Gallant Few uh, podcast. Um, this is the weekly update for the Premier League show, usually hosted by our lovely Mason, but unfortunately wanted a night off. So myself, Jamie Royals, um, has offered to step in um, and I've got the, the usual suspects to help me get through the pickings of the weekend. Um, I'll kick off first. We've got uh, Colin McDuff. Colin, how's things? I'm good, Jamie. I'm good. Cheers for having me on, as always. I'm looking forward to another uh, another action-packed um, agenda um, for the Premier League. Have you got to the point of where you're watching Match of the Day on a Saturday night yet, or are you getting it on a Monday morning? No, nah, I like it a Sunday morning. You know, That's Sunday morning, fresh, are you? Fresh Sundays catch up, and then <laughs> uh, by that point, there's somebody said something controversial on Twitter as well, so I can go straight on to the arguments. You know, sometimes <laughs> that, uh, the nonsense on Twitter is more exciting than Gary Lineker's chat. Well, yeah, he's been fun at the weekend. Um, we've also got the lovely Graham Campbell, who has graced us um, after his absence last week. Graham, how's things? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Uh, unlike what Colin was saying, I prefer to throw in watching Mark Chapman and match the day two during my lunch hour on a, a Monday. That's, that's <laughs> what I did this week. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully, I've captured, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I've captured uh, what I need to capture, the, the short highlights I was able to catch. Not a problem. Well, um, what I'll do is I'll run through. I've kind of picked out a few of the hot topics from the weekend. Um, I will say that the weekend has probably been not as controversial as last weekend when it comes to VAR. Um, but there is still a few, I think, shall we say, shock results that are probably give us enough to talk about today. Um, and I don't think we can start anywhere apart from uh, league leaders, um, Arsenal, who were the doomed early kickoff um, and actually put in a barnstorming two, uh, 4-2 win. Uh, Colin, um, you you obviously watched the game and match of the day. What was your thoughts based on what we said last week, which was that we expected Arsenal to probably have a bit of a dip now? I think there were two games um, without a win at this point, um, and obviously it was going to be a tricky game going into Saturday morning. They made an absolute mug of me, Jamie. Um, after the <laughs> man, after the Man City game, I, I said to you boys that I don't see Arteta or Arsenal having the having the bottle or having the the character to dig deep and, and see it out and I thought when it when it went one away a villa, I thought here we go. Big Colin knows his stuff, but they've made an absolute mug of me. Credit with credit to you. I, I think they're obviously a bit shaken after the recent run of form that they've had. And I mean, I know it was two games without a win, but maybe two or three weeks ago that they, they dropped points as well, same weekend, City dropped points. So they, they have been struggling for form and you could see there was a nervousness and an anxiousness about them and that translated into particularly the first half. But for that, that last half hour, they kept on digging and fair play to them. That's, you, you've put in the agenda a bit of grit. Um it's no something that even at their best we've really associated with Arsenal this year. It's been that typical Arsenal of old, uh, very free-flowing, good passing, attacking football. We've not really seen the character come out. So I'm not going to hang my hat and then winning the league. This is very much an outlier when it comes to character, I think, but it's certainly a good start. Yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. It was a gritty performance. They went behind twice and they managed to come back um, and, and done it all good. Graham, um, this is the first time we managed to see the likes of Jorginho, um, you know, starting in the absence of party, who's been absolutely crucial for them. Um, any thoughts on Jorginho and his role and, and you know how he, how he played in the game? 
Yeah, I think I think some of the points made about Arsenal recently was just kind of some of their, their transfers more based around strength in their squad rather than getting a couple of big hitters that you know you, you would expect to see walk straight into a starting eleven. Obviously as Collins pointed out, they were fortunate that would have that would have been four games without a win in the Premier League and actually um they wouldn't have won any game if for since the 22nd of January, so then suddenly you're a calendar month since winning a game, so it was huge. Obviously, Jorginho um, gets the goal in the last minute. I'm still a bit iffy on should that stand or not. I don't know if the rule was more to do with because Martinez wasn't ever getting near it. Uh, certainly two offside players standing kind of between Martinez and the ball. I thought that was quite lucky. In terms of Jorginho and his role for Arsenal... It's it's an interesting one. A lot of the pundits, a lot of guys that 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 know a hell of a lot more about football than I do, obviously suggesting that he really doesn't slot into the way Arsenal play. Um, a different kind of player to to what they would expect Arsenal to want. But listen, I think I do think he's going to do a really good job. I think he will cement his place in the team. Um, and we'd spoke about in terms of Arsenal's chance to the title, they do need a bit of luck and I do feel like they got that on Saturday and then Man City don't follow up against Nottingham Forest, so I mean big weekend for them for, for sure See on that, that Giorgino no really fitting into the mode of Arsenal that's probably a good thing um, if we look at how this season might pan out, um, maybe we need somebody in Arsenal to maybe do the unglamorous dirty work um, particularly if it, it might be a case of who's going to drop the least points out of Damon City. Um, and there might be a few 1-0 wins that Arsenal need to get over the line, get an early goal and just need to see out games. And that's not something I've always had the confidence that they're going to, going to do. Maybe Jorginho helps fill that gap. I think I think one of the big things for me is he, he, I'm not necessarily a Jorginho fan. However, you kind of got to respect what he's won as a player and actually bringing that into the team is probably what actually is the biggest benefit is, you know, without a, a good heat that's lasted that long and until the end of the season and won these kind of titles, they kind of respect him. Um, they've got him on, they've got him on their side. Um, so I, I think he offers more than just his playing attributes to, to an Arsenal team. I think it's probably his all round demeanor on how he approaches the games. Um, maybe, maybe he's a good laugh in the changing rooms, kind of, you know, keeping it real with them. Um, I was impressed with the, uh, I was impressed with Martinelli. Sorry, with the fact that he dropped Martinelli because Martinelli is obviously a fan favourite. But having Martinelli off the bench is obviously a massive big, you know, a plus for a team to have, because I don't think there's many defenders, at, at, you know, right back or left back that want to go against his pace eighty minutes into a game, and it kind of tilled, didn't it, with the two goals um, coming late on. So no, very good win for Arsenal. Um, they are now two points top of the league, um, because that brings on to our next point, which is obviously the turnaround, which is City it's at Nottingham Forest. Um, City for albeit led for the best part of, well, they, they, they scored very early and they probably led for the best part of 80 minutes. Um, and then Forrest, um, Forrest Chris Wood gets his first goal for Nottingham Forest. Um, Colin, um, your thoughts on that? And I've kind of wrote City's draw a shock, or actually, is it a shock? Uh, well, again, just uh, I'm not going to... I'm not, I'm not going to go back and what I was saying last week and now pretend I'm this and all all insightful football and God. Um 
I thought Man City were going to really just be ruthless and hammer home a big run after Wednesday night. Wednesday night I seen being a a massive turning point, but there, there is a few few more turns um, in this tale. <laughs> if, if City play how they played on Wednesday night, they, they're going to be empty. And but that's been the problem that they're not as ruthless or not as clinical as they have been. Even with Ellen Haaland, um, they they can be quite wasteful and. They dominated the ball. They'd never looked uncomfortable in the game, but they've just no killed Nottingham Forest off. And that has been a big problem for them so far this season. They've just not had that killer edge. And it's a, it's a bit bizarre when you look at the, the stats that Haaland is racking up um, and just what he's adding in terms of focal point to to their game. So, I it is still a surprise after Wednesday, but if you look at the season as a whole, then I they'll they are going to slip up again between now and the end of the season. Graeme, for you, was a City, was it was it Forest winning a point or was it City losing two points? And I say that on the basis that Kayla Navis had an absolute barnstormer of a game, not to mention Forest have actually taken a few scalps at their own ground this season, not to mention obviously Liverpool at the beginning of the season. Was this a big thing for Who was this bigger for? Was it a bigger point game for Forest or was it too, too big a point drop for City? I think before the game, the result itself, looking at it, isn't a shock when you look at kind of inconsistency of Man City this season and actually recent form of Forest. However, if you look at the game on its own merit, yeah, it is a shock because yeah, Man City get the goal kind of just before half-time, but the amount of possession and chances they had were, um, were pretty nuts, to be honest, and you wouldn't expect uh, Haaland to miss. I mean, the, the win from six yards out is just criminal. I mean... When you're playing Man City at home, you're kind of holding it and, and you go two down, that's probably game over. So, yeah, on its own merit, I think the the result was a shock uh, because of how the game panned out. So, uh, absolutely two points drop from Man City. And that's what Pep says after the game. He says, you know, we may have all the possession, that's fine, but we're spurning chances and they're not, they are not going to win the league. With, with a sort of kind of inconsistencies and, and chances that are spurning for sure. What's your thoughts on him rotating Maras, who's been arguably one of the best players since the turn of the year? Pep, Pep always rotates. like, yeah. And I think anyone that has a fancy Premier League team will probably curse Pep most weeks because of his rotation, whether that's Mares, whether that's uh, De Bruyne, or any, honestly anyone. So... <laughs> That's Pep, and I get they have a big squad full of big egos, and that's going to happen from time to time. They do, of course, have other players that are banging for them. Grealish is now starting to really step up. So when it comes to rotation with with Guardiola, it absolutely doesn't surprise me. In the fantasy football world, we call it Pep Roulette because he literally spins a wheel and we don't know who he's going to land on to start the game. So, yeah, nothing's a banker at the moment. Um Okay, so uh, what probably brings us on to the third point. So one of the third points, and obviously a bit close to home for me, um, a big three points for Liverpool on the, the late the late game on Saturday evening. Um, the only team, the only team to have beaten Newcastle this season, and they've done it twice um, at Anfield um, on the ninety eighth minute, and obviously at Saturday at St James's Park. Um, did you get a chance to watch that game? What was your thoughts on it, Colin? Sorry. Um, I, I've actually only seen the, the goals and the highlights. Um, it's I think the 
Um, the, the Pope sending off um, gave us all a chuckle. Um, that's probably the first highlight we've all watched. Um, that is, some of the pundits saying he's unlucky. I think it just looks bizarre, man. He's got all the grace in me and to do the time up after a few pints. I was going to say, Jamie, I, I don't know if you'd prayed before the match because of the Pope intervention or not, but um, <laughs> when you when you look at actually what happened, there was a moment there was a moment earlier on in that half where he was out his line by I don't yeah. I don't know like yeah. let's say forty yards and headed it, and he was trying to do the exact same thing again. He just completely misjudged it at the ball, and he actually closed his eyes before he went for the header. So. <laughs> It, it's just the most bizarre, the most bizarre thing, and, and obviously, look, nobody will be kicking himself more than than him because he's going to miss the Carabao Cup final. And Loris Carius, yeah. who I'm sure is 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 one of your heroes, Jamie, is going to be Absolutely. the is going to be the the third choice keeper that's going to need to start the game on Sunday. So I mean, so many ramifications for such a wild kind of piece of luck. Can I just say for the listeners, um, obviously this is an audio-only podcast, the fucking gleaming cheeser in Graham Campbell's <laughs> face when he was ready to come in with that Pope joke there. He's been hanging about this all day. Um, that was an absolute joy to see. I was wondering what he was going to come away with. And can I just say that the the huge laughs I got from those two, I mean, they might have been on mute, but the laughs were there to see. <laughs> I can't be a kind of stew. I, I put myself on mute and absolutely buckled. But taking away from Bob, Jamie, um, I thought... I thought the Liverpool goals were really well taken. Um, yeah. Mostly Gapco, he's maybe on the lane a wee bit, but the, the Nunes goal, I absolutely loved um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. His name has near the greatest of seasons. I don't think many fair Liverpool can come away saying that, but a beautiful ball in, in Darwin Nunes. Nobody's talked about that finish enough. I think it's an absolute beautiful touch and finish. Everybody's talked about the pass, but ah, that plays a baller. Do you know what he does? He laces it every time. And if you go back to the beginning of the season, he was lacing them as well. It was just obviously going, you know, like a 50 pence piece off the other side, but he absolutely laced that one at the weekend. And it, as you said, it was a brilliant finish. Um, Graham, what about you? Obviously, I know, take the Pope thing aside, in terms of the three points for Liverpool uh, and obviously Newcastle's charge, um, where do we sit? Because I know you weren't on last week. Um, Newcastle kind of dipped a little bit, haven't they? <clears throat> they have, but yeah, I wasn't on last week again. A couple of weeks ago, I, I think I'd mentioned about, you know, the schedule Liverpool had, and it was probably one of the lightest in a while. Probably that that's definitely going to be a factor. And I did genuinely fancy them to go on a wee bit of run. I think that's, you can correct me if I'm wrong, two two wins, two clean sheets now. Um, they're not that far behind. They've got a game in hand on the, the kind of pack above them. I do absolutely fancy Liverpool to... It'll be a fourth or fifth, but a uh, fourth or fifth mob. Uh, but I think if they go on a, a decent, decent run, I do think they will. I think Liverpool will grab fourth spot this season. So yeah, good result. And yeah, Cody Gapko is now kind of finding the net, which is which is obviously going to be a good thing for you. And I agree with Colin. You know, Nunes took his goal really well, and, and everyone's saying if they can get him on the form that. That well, the reason he's bottom, then he is going to be a phenomenal uh, player for yeah. I think if I was to balance it out, and I can be, I can be overcritical purely for the fact I'm a Liverpool fan, is that there was still there were still moments in the game where we didn't play great. You know, defensively we looked a bit shaky, and it was probably more to do with Alan St. Maximum's running, like when that boy's got the ball, you just too fear to touch him because obviously he goes down because he's so rapid, and and there was at times they looked as though they had eleven players. 
you forgot that they actually had 10 because of the way they controlled the ball sometimes. Um, so I, I still think there's room for improvement for Liverpool. Um, I think Becker Allison was absolutely tremendous on, on the day. Um, I would like to get your thoughts on Becker Allison because he's kind of been, you know, an unsung hero a little bit. If you look at this season as an example, um, he's been at Liverpool now for, you know, a good few years. He's pretty much won everything at Liverpool. Where does he rank for you, Colin, in terms of the Premier League or or, or the world? Um, I, I, he's a very, very talent, talented keeper. Um, I think he's still showing... I think he's still prone to a bombshell every now and then. Um, don't you'll be a lot closer to than I did. I think maybe two years ago, um, was it two or three years ago? He, he was absolutely peak up there, probably best in the world. But I don't know if he's in the conversation in the top five, mm-hmm. definitely. But I think he's he's still prone to a bombshell every now and then. Um, but I don't know if that's maybe just a, a bit of symbolism for the way Liverpool are right now. The biggest thing I've got to say on this is I always thought his name was Alison Becker. So, I mean, straight off the bat, I'm completely thrown off by this. To, to, to be fair, fa- nonsense. To be fair, he's got about five names. He just goes by the two. <laughs> Most Brazilians do, don't they? <laughs> fair enough. I hope I'm not the only one that's uh, <laughs> baffled by this Becker Alison. But there you go. Um, yeah, good, good keeper, no doubts. Um, solid. Definitely a kind of pushing a top five keeper in the world I think on his day yeah, he's, he's excellent like some keepers he's prone to error obviously um, at the World Cup Brazil manager fans Tim over Ederson I think it just depends on, uh, it's all about the way you want to play and how you want to work it for example Pep's never going to fancy an Alisson I don't think he's always going to go more than Ederson it, it just depends how you want to play and, and he has a good he has a good goalie um, and obviously, if, if he's on form, then yeah, start for the back, work your way forward. He's he's going to be a, a big player. Good. Um, and I'll mention one last thing. So, Loris Karius, um, obviously, he has to play this Sunday due to the fact that Dubravka was on loan at Manchester United earlier this season and, and played for them a couple of times. Um, so, they've either got Loris Karius, or I think they've got like an under 19 goalkeeper who's never never really played a game for them. Loris Karius' last actual game in England was well for an English team was obviously that Champions League final um, so it'll be interesting to see how we got on I think Klopp was asked after the game and Klopp went they're, they're in safe hands don't know if that was a bit tongue in cheek but um, yeah I think them not having Pope for this weekend is going to be a big big mess diving either or not Man you fans will love Karius even more um, if he has a repeat <laughs> on Sunday. Oh, I, think, aye, um, I think he's um, already high in their um, hero list. <laughs> and that brings us nicely on to Manchester United. So obviously they won again. Um, I, know, I know we asked this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Graeme, you were very, very refuted. Like, no, I don't fancy them to be within the title. I've got them down as there's five points in it. Um you still have that same thoughts, which you you know. Yeah, I think at the time, I guess I I just saw it as a two horse race. Listen, when we're on the when we're on the talking about goalkeepers, obviously De Gea made a couple of stunning he saves did. against Leicester mm-hmm. at the weekend. Now, there's a guy that couldn't even get in the Spain squad. A guy that's kind of just 
falling out of favour in terms of your, your top goalkeepers in the world. So again, look like Alisson, if, if you've got your keeper in top form, then yes, of course, then it's possible. Man, you do have a great squad of players, there's no doubt. They'll definitely finish in the top three. Or f- okay, they'll definitely finish in the top four at least. But, but do I think they're going to charge the title? No, I still don't think they'll win the league. I think it'll be between Arsenal and Man City. I don't think Man U have it in them to go on a really long run. Um, and it'll be interesting, especially if they stay in the Europa League. So that's a big game against um, Barca midweek. And then obviously they've got Newcastle. See if they win a cup, maybe that gives them a bit more momentum. But to answer your question, no, I, I don't think they'll win the league this season. But I think Tenai is going to build something really good. He is obviously an excellent coach. And I would imagine it, maybe they'll win the league at least once in the next year or two for sure. Colin and the Enigma Rashford, he's uh, he's still going. Um, he obviously got a couple uh, at the weekend. Um, what's your thoughts? When we talk about players being in the elite in the position, he is world class right now on form. He's he's been absolutely phenomenal, and he has maybe papered over a few catch for for Man U. I agree with Graham that the Man U over the next 18 months, if they keep on going in this trajectory, then it is going to be an exciting team to watch and I, I think they will be challenging, but my, my issue with Man U is they, they are taking their chances. They they are clinical um, and Rashford is a big part of that. They're not dominating, not dominating games when they should be, but if you look at Leicester, game on Saturday there, or Sunday, sorry. I mean, Leicester should have been 2-3-0 up if it wasn't for um, if it wasn't for De Gea, and that has been my new. They've, I don't want to say Roger Locke, that's what you buy a good keeper for, but they are letting teams in there, and uh, there is an argument to say that it's an art to see it out and just take your chances, but getting to the business end, I, I don't think that'll be enough to see them win the league, maybe depending on the consistency of Arsenal, Man, Man City maybe a second, but um, Marcus Rashford is that man, it's really um, that is the main goal threat right now and I think he really is world class, if he can keep in this level of form, even even 75% that going into next season and Man you can build around him, then that, it'd be really good to see them get a good start to the season I was really impressed with him at the new Camp last week in the Europa League as well. He was absolutely brilliant and uh, controlled the game to some extent. So um, now he's obviously on this mad rich vein of form as we talked about. Um, I've got a question relating to Manchester United. It's not necessarily directly to do with the football, but um, it's probably to do with the biggest news that's come out of them in the last few weeks. So they, they, they've obviously had the club up for sale um, and they had a soft deadline for last Friday for any interested parties to make uh, their official bids. Um, now we only know of two bids that have came in so far um, and made themselves public and one is an American consortium fronted by um, the I forget the gentleman's name though um, and they've also got they've also got a Qatari bid in um, and I suppose really my question is before the Newcastle signed, before Newcastle sold to the Qatari team, the Qatari states, if you like, there was this, there was this um, uproar, shall we say, about where the money was coming from, um, the, you know, the, the human rights acts, all these, you know, whether it was feeding into the clubs. I suppose, really, what I'm wanting to understand is, well, not just myself, 
do we actually care about these kind of things as fans? You know, take Man United out of the equation. If it was Rangers, for example, and you had these two offers on the table, do you look for something specific in these kind of people that own that, that look to own clubs, or is it just all about getting yourself competing with the most money available? Colin, I'll come to you first, if that's okay. We're football fans, so we're all hypocrites. I mean, let's just play cards on the table. It's all fine and well being romantic and sticking by your morals until somebody comes up and say, listen, we can buy you the Champions League. It'd be the same for Rangers as well. Um, right now, I know the type of owner that I'd want for Rangers. Um, it's easy for me to say, say that because there's nobody from the Middle East wants to buy a Scottish Premier League club. So it's an easy answer to say, nah, I don't want your dirty money, whatever. If that um, if that fantasy was to become a reality, it becomes a lot more difficult. Um, and I think the more it goes on, the less we care about it. Man U, if, if Man U were to be state-owned by a Middle East club, I think that changes the landscape of it. Um, in Newcastle, there was a lot of heat, but Newcastle only Man U. Man U are like, what, top four or five clubs in the world. They're huge Not in terms of their... Um, their ability right now, but their, their, their stature, they're a huge club, and I think that, that they're even bigger than Man City, even way Man City's recent success over the last 10 years. Man U will be a game changer for it, and I think the more this goes on, the less we care about it, and it will just become the norm, really. Graham, and yourself? Yeah, listen, like Man U... The, the three biggest clubs in the world are Man U, Real and Barca. So, of course, Man U are a huge proposition to anyone. Taking away the morality thing, if that was part of the question, I think, for me, a lot of these big groups, the ones, the, the Middle Eastern groups, with all the money in the world, my worry is just purely about ruining the game because how many, where, how many clubs do they go to? How many clubs are pumped with so much money. Somebody's, not everyone can win the league, not everyone can win the Champions League, so all we're doing is putting so much money, like unbelievable amounts of money into squads and teams that all can't win, so how does that do for the rest of the Premier League? Are we then going to take away the competitiveness? So, actually, I think it's an easy one for me. Honestly, heart, my heart and hand, I wouldn't want a, a group like this invest in Scottish football and I wouldn't want a group like this investing in Rangers. Yes, would I want uh, a bit of money pumped in in relativity to see his perform better? Yeah, but all it does is, as I say, then somebody buys into Celtic and then again, only one of us can win the league. Only one of us can go so far in Europe. So for me in the Premier League, it's the same. Too much money, like the too much too much cooks, boiled broth and all that. All those kind of sayings. Where does where is it going to stop in the Premier League? So we'll we'll see. In terms of morality, you've got other sports that that F one, I think wrestling, etc. Maybe boxing. They all go out to the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. You maybe don't hear as much. So I don't know. It's it's a very muddy kind of debate as well. One that I don't really know enough about to put my own opinion in, but certainly when it comes to investing in the football teams, I think there, there really needs to be a ceiling on the amount of money that can be put in and, and the financial fair play certainly tightened, um, for sure. See, just playing devil's advocate, 
and I don't know if I'm maybe just a, <laughs> a wee bit too low level in my thinking here, but there's, there's going to be more Middle Eastern consortiums than there is Premier League clubs. Um, there is. So if, if 10, 12 consortiums end up buying 10, 12 different Premier League clubs, does that no level at the playing field? And I know it just ends up putting in ridiculous money, but if there's 10, 12 clubs with the same amount of money, does it no level out? But then what does that do for the... So we're talking about a, a roundabout of teams going up and down between the championship, the same kind of six to eight teams up and down every year. Then it waters down the competitiveness, in my opinion. I just don't I just don't see any way where it enhances the game. And surely it then waters down the talent and, and kind of the rest of the other leagues in Europe and, and then you've suddenly just got a, a domination of England. I don't know. I, I just... It doesn't sit right that you're going to have constant, all these constant um, big hitters buying clubs and just putting all this money into them. The Man City, sorry, Jamie, one second. No, the, the, Man, the Man City point of view, if they all come in like Man City, Man City and how Man City run themselves now, that's a different pathway to, for example, um, how they came in, or what Todd Bowley's doing at Chelsea, for example. Now, Man City have built a whole... I mean, they're not just what they're doing in the football ground. They've got... Uh, the women's team are probably the biggest. They've got their training ground and small stadium across. If those guys walked away from that club now, they would be stable. Whereas if Todd Bowley, for example, walked away from Chelsea tomorrow and, and nobody came in, I'd, I'd, what are Chelsea building, for example? What are Man U going to build? So, I don't know. Are Newcastle going to do, go down that route? It all depends on what routes they go as well. But I don't know. I just think there's going to be a bubble and it's got to bust at some point. I think I think for me, and I've got to be careful because obviously Liverpool are going through a very summer transition. However, John Henry's come out today and said that he's not looking to sell the club. He's looking to get an investment. It's probably going to come from a Qatari-based uh, investor, really. Um, but I think yeah, the early calling is if Chelsea went for £2.5 and an additional billion pumped into the team, so three and a half billion. Man United are easy five billion, at least. You know, and, and you know for the level of statute that they are, who's walking about with five billion money these days? You know, to, that he could drop onto a team. There is only a handful of clientele you would look at, and one would be some American consortium that's now that's being hosted right now as a part as as one of the options for Manchester United, um, uh, or a Qatari state. You know, governance, if you like. There's not many individuals, shall we say, that just love the club and are able to punt that kind of money into it. So, I, I do think it becomes it do becomes a bit muddied in terms of who's available for to, to do these investments. Um, I think, Kareem, what you said is, you know, when it comes, if you were to have <clears throat> so many teams with all this money and that yo-yo of teams from the championship coming up, I would argue that actually happens already. You know, the, the, the teams that naturally come up are normally the naturally the teams that go back down. And it probably has been like that for a, for a period of time. I don't necessarily think oil states or, you know, shall we say big investors change that. I think what it does is it changes the landscape across Europe. Because a lot of the bigger leagues probably then, you know, we see it now. They're, look, they're talking about breaking away to these European Super Leagues to try and improve their own revenues because they can't get these additional funds coming in. So I do think that the Man United sale probably does set a precedence though of where, you know, where we go with it going forward. 
Um, I think the Newcastle one, they've been very, very smart about it, but it's probably due to financial fair play at the moment because they can't go out and spend 400 million in one window because they've not had that kind of revenue. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be a test in time. I've just, I remember when Newcastle were being looked at taking over, in my opinion, there was a lot of fans calling them out on their their ethics, their their policies, their human um, you know, the, the human policies of, of you know of slavery and not slavery, sorry, but like, you know, um the slave labor, shall we say. I don't hear those kind of things happening now. If anything, I hear the only thing I'm hearing now is anybody but the Glazers. And I think that's obviously, you know, I think you said it very fierce, Colin. We're, we're, we're very hypocritical as fans. We just want the quickest and instant most success we can probably get right now. So it, it definitely is going to be a, a an interesting time. I wouldn't even be surprised if the Glazers actually went, we've actually found more investment, we're going to stay and keep the club. I, d- I just think in terms of the, when you mentioned the yo-yo, I think the last, uh, in the last few years, for example, I don't know, I just feel like it has been... Um, it has been a bit more competitive in terms of the teams. For example, at, at this moment in time, potentially you have all the three teams that got promoted last season not going down. I just mm-hmm. feel if this bubble gets bigger within the Premier League, then you are definitely going to have that kind of... Obviously, the parachute payments, etc., all work in the favour and it means club can, can stabilise and stuff and it makes the Championship probably a stronger and better league. I just think... I don't get where where did where the where do these clubs stop being bought? At what point yeah. does the, the, this investment? Because right now you've got Tottenham fans wanting Levy out, so they're a, they're a massive they're a massive football club that have probably the, the best most up to, up to date stadium in the world right now. You're going to imagine they're not going to go for cheap. Let's say they go for the kind of two billion mark or something like that. So when does it when does it st- Stop! What clubs aren't going to have this? I don't know. It's, it, was it's in, it, was in news, it was in the news last week that actually Tottenham rejected the best part of three and a half billion um, as an as an option. Um, somebody wanted to take them over, and apparently the guy. Oh, I forget his name, but Daniel Evans obviously—he's obviously works alongside him, and the, the the talk was that they expected that to be chump money. So what do they expect? Because they've obviously got a massive big brand new stadium and they've all got all the development area around it. So they're looking at it obviously a bit bigger than just the football team. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming this stadium and and kind of what, I think that was a billion pound at least. So I'm assuming that's obviously been put into the the cost of the club. Obviously that's interesting. Um, I I didn't actually know they'd rejected it. But yeah, I I don't know. I I just think football is definitely on a bit of a dangerous path, especially the Premier League. And in just terms of, there must be a ceiling. There must be a ceiling for for money. There's got to be surely in terms of what can be spent, and then the disparity between certain teams. But we'll, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see if this super league happens. <laughs> that sixty sixty teams, obviously, if that's meant to kind of bring it all closer together. So yeah, listen, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, if Man you get bought. One thing I will say is the. Old Trafford kind of falling into disrepairs. Is mm-hmm. that not that I'm a, a Man U fan by any means? But I've been to Old Trafford a couple of times, and it, it really is one of the be- one of the better Dated. stadiums. You, but it's it's one of the better stadiums you'll go to. But yet, yeah, sounds as though it's kind of been left to date a bit and falling into disrepair, which is which is a real shame because it, it really is an unbelievable stadium. 
I think if you believe the Ronaldo interview, they need a new jacuzzi, they need a new fax machine, all those kind of things have still been the same 20 years later, haven't they? Um, but I want to change the, I want to turn the attention to the other side of the table now. Um, so, um, Colin, your, your favourite subject last couple of weeks, the, the Deitch effect, um, a massive sex pointer for, for Everton. Um, what was your thoughts on, on the outcome of the game and did it go as, as you would expect? This is what I was talking about last week where um, Everton are going to be going out and beating um, the teams around them 2 3 4 nothing. A lot of them will be targeted games and they, they will be narrow um, like narrow wins, if anything. And I think the best Everton dif- displays between now and the end of the season will come against the, the bigger teams when they're sitting in and hitting on the break. And um, But no, it's, it was a really good three points for Everton. What a fantastic goal, by the way. I don't think he did. No, I don't know. I don't think James Coleman. Ah, of course he does. Like if I'd done it, I would fucking, I would, I would <laughs> claim it as well. James Coleman's never tried to shoot like in his life, and he's not right to start now in his mid thirties. Um, he says he looked up and then he see MD. Um. In the box, if he did look up, then he see MD, he's just hat and hope and hope somebody will run very quickly. Um, but no, no, he take it away. It was a fantastic finish. And from an Everton point of view, it, it's probably now what you're expecting. F.A. Deitch, um, racking up the pro- points, um, even the Liverpool game, it was a terrible performance. I think we all said if Deitch was to be appointed an Everton manager, he's, they'll be comfortable. So that's um, out of the relegation zone. Leeds, on the other hand, um, they this was a massive chance for them to get a bit of stability, and I've actually liked um, I've actually liked the look of them under Skibala. I thought they were unlucky against Man U, and there was a wee bit of energy um, about them, and I was actually wondering will he maybe be the interim manager between now and the end of the season? But from Leeds' point of view, I think you really need to get at least a point um, at Everton there. Um, the the one I read this evening is that apparently they're looking at Ramon Vega um, as, as coming in as an interim manager for Leeds. So it does look as though they're still actively looking to bring somebody in. Um, Graham, what was your thoughts on the game itself? Obviously, it was a big it was a big win for Everton. Yeah, got off big Sean Dice man. Uh, what a guy, what a hero. Uh, listen, that's that's the kind of results that you would expect him to turn out under him. I'm not saying that I'm not getting into the uh, the football he plays, etc. Because I do still think he did play some really good dominating football with, with Burnley when he when they did well. But when he's coming into a team that were in the relegation zone zone and um two out of the first three games of one one now at Goodison getting the fans back inside. Great result. Obviously not so for Leeds. I think they will go down if they go down this interim manager route. Ramon Vega, there's a name I've not heard in a long time. I don't know where that one's came from. So I think they need to just get a manager that knows what they're doing and get them in. If I'm a Leeds fan and I'm looking at um, Skibala's interim, Ramon Vega, Harry then <laughs> was being patted about. These are not the names you want to hear when, when, when you're Leeds. So it'll be it'll be strange. That that's an incredible mismanagement if they if they really appoint somebody poor when they've had a good couple of seasons uh, under Bielsa. And then I still think Marsh was an okay appointment, but I mean that is a that is a major mistake if they, they one go into them or two appoint some of the names that that's been spouted about. 
yeah, it's obviously getting getting to the desperation point if they're still looking to try and bring somebody in. Um, and 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 of another team that's absolutely been dire as recently, but probably pulled off their best win of the season um, was Southampton um, against uh, the high mighty flying Graham Potter's uh, Chelsea. Um, I'm not going to lie, I thought that was an absolute banker for Chelsea to kind of get themselves back up and running um, and put to bed, you know, the the issue of rotation, the issue of people like Jean Felix and Mudrik. Um, I was very very surprised. Um, they didn't come away with that. Um, but your thoughts on that, Colin, and also um, obviously on James Ward-Prowse and his free kicks? Um, on on Ward-Prowse, first of all, because uh, I don't want to take away, but we'll probably talk about what this means for Chelsea, but James Ward-Prowse, um, uh, it's been to a couple of boys in the group chat and they, they were saying, well, without joke, he's, he's arguably one of the best free t- kick takers we've seen in the Premier League. Um, and I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to say. Fantastic, um, fantastic finisher for a set piece on Southampton itself. Um, I, uh, I don't think it's enough to spark life into their. Um, any other season, I still think they're going to go down rock bottom, but it's it gives them half a chance. That's one of the games when you're looking at between now and the, the end of the season. Um, that is a game you, you would have wrote off, um, so it's three points more than what they what they would have been expecting. From a Chelsea point of view, it's just absolute dire, and and it's just that was our worry um, about. Potter that he won't be able to manage this group of players consistently and I think you see the pressure pressure building on him with that post-match interview Yeah, Graham, um, obviously I know you've, you've been a fan of Graham Potter um, what do you make of his rotation um, with, with the team itself having having that, that many good players at your disposal and you know he's made so many rotations of teams um, and players, but he's also having these weird post-conference, post-game um, talks now. I think the one he came out with at the weekend was that he was surprised to see how well drilled Southampton were. This is a team that's at the bottom of the league and haven't won in like twelve games in a Premier League. For me, I'm thinking obviously if I was Klopp, I'm wanting them to come out and you know I'm wanting them to to come out and say it's not acceptable. We'll make this right. There's just something different about Graham Potter's style, isn't there? Just first things first. Just to any Chelsea fans, if there are any Chelsea fans listening, I want to make a heartfelt apology for that debate against Southampton. I obviously picked Chelsea as my last man standing pick, <laughs> which is the sole reason that they would have they would have got beat home to Southampton. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd have been as well wiping Mars with that tenor. So yeah, um, apologies to apologies to all out there. So yeah, look, Potter, I think that it's bizarre he's got this strange kind of relationship with the media just now, and I think that has a lot to do with a lot of these questions being asked about. Does he get angry? Some I don't know. It's just some of the questions getting spun at him. I think the media are potentially just trying to get something out of him. So whether that taking away any results how they're playing is kind of the cause for the the way he's actually talking in the media and some of the things he's saying. Look, in terms of his team selection, um, 
I, it is a bit baffling for me. Look, everyone knows the number nine is one thing they, they do need. Um, but when you've got Madueke and um, Fafana starting, and then on the bench you've got Mudrick, you've got Havertz, you've got Sterling, who, by the way, Sterling could have had a hat-trick um, yeah. at the weekend. Some of the chances he missed, I don't know how he didn't score. Maybe it's a bit of rustiness. I don't know. Look, I do like Graham Potter, and it'll be interesting to see what time he's given. But, of course, as we've said many times... You only get as much time as the fans give you. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have a sense of what Chelsea fans are feeling completely. But right now, they're not going to get... I mean, right now, they're battling to, to get into a European spot, never mind pushing for top four. So it'll be interesting. It goes so far. I think he does need a big result at home against Borussia Dortmund. That's for sure when, when that game comes around. So like, we'll, we'll, see how he, we'll see how he goes, but... I, I'm not sure the players are helping them out much just so, now. So here's a question. Someone. So surely we were saying this about Nathan Jones two weeks ago. He was having these weird post post match, you know, interviews. He was his selections weren't marrying up. What's different? What's where, where's where's the difference? So for me, the uh, Graham Paul's got credit in the bank at this level. Okay. Nathan Jones, uh, like no disrespect. He's a very good Luton Town manager and it was a bizarre appointment. With Graham Potter, you can see why Chelsea have appointed him. He's got credit in the bank and I think there's an element, uh, for me, an element of sympathy because Chelsea are a huge club but they're a basket case there club and it's, you, I think you need to be a bit mental to take the job and do well in it as well. Nathan Jones in the Southampton I he was he'd no credit in the bank Premier League but Southampton have been a very well run club um, for the last what five six years at Premier League level um, obviously at the other end of the table um, so I think there's probably more aye, more scope uh, for Nathan Jones to go and do a uh, he doesn't have to achieve too much to do a, an acceptable job whereas Graham Potter it's, it's, a, it's a big task okay um, I'm going to move on to another team now. So, um, big wins for Bournemouth and Fulham. Um, obviously, two different uh, two different results. Bournemouth are obviously fighting at the bottom, um, and you've got Fulham who were up um, against away to uh, Brighton, who probably not many people would have picked um, a Fulham without a Mitrovic to to kind of get a result from Brighton. Um, Graham, I'll come to you first. What's your thoughts on? Brighton first, I think, it kind of looked a bit like a smash and grab from film at the weekend. From from what obviously they hadn't didn't watch the game, obviously, but um, from what we could see highlights wise, etc., it looked like a smash and grab job. But you know, fair play to film. We've talked about how well they're playing under Marco Silva, and it doesn't really look like they're going to they're going to pull up anytime soon. So yeah, I I, I think they will end up finishing in a European place. In terms of Bournemouth, I think I've stopped sh- shot from calling Gary O'Neill a useless bastard in recent <laughs> weeks, to be honest. So, I mean, fair play to them. That's a, that is some result uh, for, for Bournemouth uh, when you look at the results. And yeah, Wolves under Lopetegui is just, just a bit, I don't know, just a wee bit up and down. It'll be interesting to see how they do next season. Obviously, they're going to up. I think they'll be safe, but um, yeah, a couple of surprise results I guess, uh, but huge huge one for Bournemouth, and the, the relegation battle really is so exciting, yeah. it's so exciting and I'm just hoping it stays like this as as I've said in recent weeks it always happens where it, it kind of you get this and then a couple of teams start falling off, but 
I mean, it is, it is, a, it is a really exciting looking race just now to, to survive. So yeah, it's it's good. I hope I hope this continues the next few weeks and teams like Bournemouth get get random results like this and and maybe Southampton under under this. Uh, God, his name escapes me. Um, under the interim coach just now. So yeah, we'll see. Cesar is it? Roman Cesar is that right? Uh, I've just I might have pulled that out of thinner. Yeah, I'm getting a nod. So yeah, we'll see. Um, it's good, but yeah, good result for Bournemouth. Colin, what do you think when Sean Dice through that emotional three at six pointer that he went through with Leeds to get back in the changing rooms and seeing that Southampton had won and Bournemouth had won? Um, what do you think that does to for them? Obviously, they're trying to trying to get as much momentum as they possibly can, but everybody else is still getting points around them. I know. Um, you're probably hoping that the Wolves do break away, but at the same time, they're only two points behind Wolves now. So the way Wolves are going, I, I think they will end up being safe, but I, I can see them being a bit closer to 18th than, than maybe 14th or 13th. I think they might nay up their game a wee bit. Um, it is exciting. It's it, I love the relegation battle. In, in recent years, when it's been Man City breaking away with 100 points or whatever, the, the biggest excitement has been for the championship playoff place or the, the relegation battle in Premier League. Um, Bournemouth, it's, it's a great result for them. But I'm not too surprised. I said last week, for they were... They were very. It was very good to watch him against Newcastle, and um, they took the game in Newcastle. Didn't quite um, get the, didn't quite get the victory, but got a very well in point. Um, I it'll be interesting to see how it, it's going to be. Who manages the freak results? Who manages most mm-hmm. freak results? Because they'll all take points off each other, and they'll kind of yo-yo up and down. It'll be these random results like taking like Southampton taking points off Chelsea. Um, it, if that happened a bit more, I think that'll start separating teams. Cool. And uh, Graham, um, we've got Brighton, uh, sorry, Brentford and Palace up next. Um, Brentford, obviously, um, uh, another draw. Um, and Palace, obviously, picking up points. What's your thoughts on there? Yeah, again, probably in the end, two points dropped for Palace, obviously, with a late with a late goal for, for Brentford. I think we'd spoke about Palace uh, in the past, just about maybe worrying about their, again, inconsistencies of late. They have, to be fair, actually been a lot more consistent, but they're not winning. They're just picking up maybe yeah. what four, four draws in the last five. I still think that they are in real danger and they, they could do. We're starting to, to pick up three points here and there. When you're looking at these teams starting to win at the bottom, and get more sporadic wins like that. Um, I mean, it's really starting to hot up from the bottom up to Palace. You're talking about eight points. Just from relegation to Palace, six points. I mean, that is nothing. And I think, realistically, Palace down, any of these teams could go down. So I do feel like really, really a big two points drop for them and, and probably a much-needed win. And I'm sure their, their support will be will be bitterly disappointed with that last kind of, that last minute. Equaliser for Brentford, obviously. Colin, um, Palace rely a lot on 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 Wilfred Zaha, who's unfortunately out injured at the moment. Um, lots of reports that his contract's up at the end of the summer. Do you see him staying in the UK, or do you see him going abroad? Is he? Is it time for him to move on to a bigger club? Is he going to get a bigger club? Uh, I don't really know who who takes him. Uh, 
Well, who takes him in England? I mean, I, I think Brighton, um, where they are now, um, would be a perfect fit. They need that. Uh, they need that kind of reliable forward. But I don't know if Brighton's a big enough name to tempt Wilfred Zaha. So I find the clubs who who'd fit and he'd do well and who'd be looking at him. Um, I don't really know if he'd fancy it. So I do see him maybe going. Going abroad, um, I think he'd do well in Italy. Um, you know, maybe top six in Italy. I think he'd, he'd suit that game. Um, but nah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, I think if he was maybe to go for like maybe a, a, a Brighton or or something like that, he would do well. And when we were speaking the last couple of weeks, that it would probably be a hard transition for the like of that club to start attacking a, a higher calibre a player as opposed to buying a two million pound player, turning them into a 30 million pound player. It's a big jump up, so uh, yeah, and you're right, I think you might go abroad. Graham, for you? I'd quite like to, I mean, God, I don't, I don't know if this is wild, I'd quite like to see Arsenal go for somebody like Zaha. Like, I, I do think that um, when you look at the way they play, when you look at the type of player they want, and obviously um, more squad depth, I really think he'd be a good, solid player for Arsenal. Obviously, this is summer. I know I've said everything about me not liking the way they went about their business, but look, obviously, the summer window is different. And if you can get Zaha on a free, um, just looking at that, Palace haven't won this year yet. I actually didn't quite appreciate that. So I don't see him sticking about Palace. That's for sure. I'm sure he loves the club, but I think this is kind of a roll of dice. He went to Man U, didn't really work out for him. I, I, I really would like to see an Arsenal go for him. I would have honestly thought Arsenal would have been perfect until they got Trossard. I think Trossard probably now fits that bill. That person that can come on and do both wings and play up front as well. So I'd be very surprised if they do still go for somebody like Zaha. Um, as you said, now they've got a better squad depth about them, but... I think he's definitely better than Palace. Um, be interesting to see where he ends up at the end in the summer. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Newcastle came in for him, offering big wages, you know, to, to kind of fill out their squad. Um, St. Maxman's obviously really good, but he's always he always gets a lot of injuries. So when we're talking about rotation, he could offer that to them. Um, I was kind of going to bring us on to um, our last game. Um, the, there was a there was a London derby in the four o'clock kickoff on Sunday um, uh, between Tottenham and West Ham. Um, Tottenham leaving it late, um, needing uh, Son to come off the bench to kind of kickstart them. But I suppose my question is really more about West Ham and David Moyes. So they've now dropped into the bottom three. Um, Colin, what's your thoughts on that? And is there a real danger of them? I know we've kind of skipped them because we've always thought that they would actually get back out of their trouble. But the goals have kind of really dried up for them, haven't they? Aye, I think it's what one win out of the last six. Um, I cut the draws in there. And... Uh, they were never that. They've never been comfortable enough this season where they can just start relying on draws. They they do need to start getting some points on the board quickly, especially after what we've been saying. Some of these teams are pulling out the odd freak result. Um, I don't know. I I don't know if I see West Ham pulling it back. I think they'll maybe jump between 18th and 16th but I think they're going to be there right to the end of the season and they'll, they'll not be rock bottom but they will be teetering around, teetering around that top relegation sp- space and the bottom safe space if you like. 
Graham, um, West Ham's defensive record has been way better than their attacking record. Um, do you think that's going to be pivotal to how they finish to the season? I think it's interesting with West Ham. Actually, in, in terms of, I feel like, the last four games in the Premier League, they've picked up five points. I really, I know they've slipped into the relegation zone. I really don't see them getting relegated. One thing that might go against them, I don't know, it can depend. Look, they've still got European football. That's going to kick start for them again. Mm-hmm. They obviously finished top the uh, table in the Conference League, so um, they'll go straight into the last 16. They got through in the FA Cup. So potentially for West Ham, it's going to come to a point where, look, what's more important, obviously, uh, league survival for them, but I don't think it's going to come to that. Uh, I think it would be mental to sack Moyes, and I think they'll they'll get out of it. Um, Yeah, defensive, not great. West Ham have always been a, a, a funny bit of a team. Like I don't know, sometimes you look at their transfer record, not amazing. Um, some of the some of the players they buy. Look, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. I don't think they'll get relegated. I do think they'll they'll pick up enough enough wins um, over the the course of the the kind of end, the second half of the season. But yeah, I, I would definitely keep Moyes if I was him. I think I think, the, I think the difference is at the moment is the fans are starting to call for Moyes, and I think you know we spoke about other teams where the pressure is coming from the fans. Um, I think I seen this morning that um, David Moyes is actually forty eleven odds on to actually get the bullet at some point, which doesn't bode well. I'm with you. I don't think West Ham get relegated. I think they do enough to stay out of it. It's whether or not David Moyes obviously gets that chance to probably see it out. I think if Moyes was to leave, I think that's a different kettle of fish. Um, Colin, sorry, you want to jump in? I uh, just looking at West Ham's uh, next few games, like taking out the FA Cup one. So they're, they're at home in Nottingham Forest, away to Brighton, home to Villa, away to Man City, and then home to Southampton. If we are serious about West Ham saying up, I think they need, to, they need to get four points at least out of the home games um, at Nottingham Forest and Villa, because I don't see them picking up points at Brighton or Man City. And then it will come down to um, depending how the, the games go, it could be a huge game um, against Southampton in the end of March. You also have to take into consideration, I get if West Ham fans are starting to call for them, but if you look at Southampton and Leeds just now, they're without a manager and there's not any real clear front runner. So who are, man, who are West Ham going to get in if they sack Moyes? And this is something else that they need to really think about. I do think Moyes is the best guy to steer them clear. And yes, Colin says I think those next few games will be important, and it is how they balance against the 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 specifically the Conference League. I think Jesse March is still kicking a bit in London somewhere, and <laughs> he's trying to get a free hotel again. <laughs> well, guys, that's kind of wrapped up the the, the weekend's football. Um, as ever, it's obviously been good to kind of catch up and just talk about football in general. We will be back next week, um, and by next week we will have um, obviously the first cup final in England would have been completed. So on Sunday we've got Newcastle versus Manchester United um, in the League Cup final. So hopefully we will be toasting a Newcastle win and Man United. I've won nothing, but that's just me. Um, but Colin, really, really appreciate um, the opportunity to kind of host this and to obviously kind of get around the table and have a chat with you. Graham, as ever, it's always good to, to pick your brains. Um, but until next time, um, thank you very much and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>